If you would turn in your Bibles to page 1042, or Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, we're going to start at verse 9. Luke 18. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One's a Pharisee and the other's a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Have you ever messed around with Google Earth? It's amazing the things that you can see sometimes. Some things that aren't, weren't even intended for you to, to see. Um, there's another one too that I, I wasn't aware of, but it's uh, Google Sky. And uh, through it, you can look up into the universe, and there's all kinds of pictures, a lot of them from the Hubble Space Telescope, but it's just amazing when you look at those pictures and, and you just see the wonder of, of the universe, of, of space, and how vast it is. They can't even see the edges of it. I mean, it's just that big. And when you look at pictures like that, you have to wonder, why in the world is the universe so big, and why is the earth so small? Think about it. Our, our planet is one of the smallest. Why didn't God make it bigger? I mean, when, when you look through uh, um, pictures on, on uh, the Hubble telescope, and, and you see the stars, and the planets, and the suns, and how big they are. I mean, there's just no comparison between, between the two. And you have to wonder why. Our solar system is just so big. And that little earth, it just seems so small despite all its color on, on the, the, the pictures. And, and it makes us feel puny, doesn't it? When you see the vastness out there and you see how big everything is and you see our little tiny planet. You wonder why God didn't make the universe maybe 80 million light years wide and maybe 80 million light years long? Wouldn't that have been big enough? We would have never been able to see it all. But He didn't. He didn't stop there. He kept going, and it's bigger than that. It's immense. I think that's what the psalmist is wondering in Psalm 8. After gazing at the heavens, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you would care for him. Why would God care for us? We're, we're so puny in comparison to everything else. You know, we think so much of ourselves, but we're so tiny in comparison. And I think this contrast that you see between creation and, and how God created the earth, He did that for a reason, I think, to make us feel that we are small. Because that's the whole point of the Gospel. 
We're not worthy in ourselves. There's nothing we can do to achieve our righteousness before the Lord. Instead, the Bible says God sent His one and only Son to be that atoning sacrifice. Even though we didn't deserve it, can't ever earn it, but yet that's God's gift to us. And this love that He shows us, it's like the universe compared to our love. This incredible love just overwhelms us. The love of Christ that enabled Him to go to that cross. That made Him give His life so that we might become adopted sons and daughters of the King. You're royalty now. That in itself should blow your mind. We're sons and daughters of the King. Even though Jesus is our Savior, we're brothers and sisters of Christ. Wow. What an honor has been placed upon us. This morning we're going to be looking at the doctrine of limited atonement. And I think calling it limited is sometimes an unfortunate designation because it almost seems like it's diminished somehow, that it's limited, even though that wasn't the point of calling it that. If we were using the word faith, then we would call it intentional atonement. I think another way that many Reformed churches refer to that is definite atonement. And that's what I'm going to call it this, this morning. But whether you call it limited atonement or definite atonement or whatever name you give it, it's the idea that Christ died for a definite people, a definite church, a definite flock, a definite and chosen bride. We've got to keep that in mind. Listen to Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives, the Apostle Paul says, as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Who did Christ give Himself up for? The church. For His people. This is in contrast to the Armenian view that teaches that atonement is unlimited. And that's where we get the limited atonement as opposed to unlimited that it's for anyone who it's for anyone in for all the world I guess another passage I'd like to point you to is John 10:14 again a familiar one I am the good shepherd I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep context there is what that Jesus is laying down his life for his sheep for his own for those that he knew since the foundations, before the foundations of the world. That's what Revelation 13.8 says. Or Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, the Apostle Paul says. It is no, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Who did Jesus die for? Not just anyone, but he died for me. For you and me, and everyone who responds to Christ in faith. We've got to keep in mind that Christ did not die so that you might have Him, but rather Christ died so that He might have you. Let me say that again. Christ did not die so that you might have Him, but Christ died that He might have you. When He died, your salvation was not only made possible, 
but it was made sure. This is the beauty uh, and the promise of limited atonement or definite atonement. When Jesus received the rails, the nails and the thorns and um, the spear that went into his side, he was not saying to everyone in the world, he was not saving everyone in the world, but he was securing those who Christ chose before the beginning of time. We talked before about that. How, how is that possible? What, why would God do that? And you know what? Salvation is up to God, isn't it? And while it doesn't always make sense to us, we have to accept the gift we've received. And this is what the Bible teaches. Jesus died so that you would believe and enter into a relationship with Him. I remember when my wife and I, uh, soon after we first got married, there was something in the, the Grand Rapids press that made you kind of scratch your head. The paper reported that um, a, a town not far away, uh, Sand Lake, had lost 15 million gallons of partially treated sewer, sewer water. Apparently it just disappeared out of the lagoon one day. There was just a hole underneath it. And what was so disconcerting about that is they didn't know where it went. They didn't know if it was in people's wells. They didn't know if it went into the groundwater. It, it just disappeared. And, and the officials, that kept, they, were, they were pestered with all kinds of questions. Well, explain it to us. Where, where's this water? Is it going to make people sick? And I remember the officials saying, when we find out where it went, you'll be the first to know. From what I hear, they never did exactly find out where it went. When you think about it, it's kind of a fitting picture of sin. That filthy lagoon is like the stench of our sin. The filth of it. Where did our sin disappear to? The Bible says Jesus took it away. Where exactly did it go? The Bible gives us answers we can't always comprehend. Micah 7.9 says it was buried in the deepest sea. Psalm 103.12 says it was removed from us as far as the east is from the west. Colossians 2.13, it was erased from the eternal books of heaven's justice. But in truth, the righteousness of Jesus covered over us. And so when God looks at us, He doesn't see sin. He only sees the, the blood of Jesus. And so God chooses to remember our sin no more. He chooses to remember it no more. When you get to heaven... And he looks at your page in the book of life. What is he going to see? Only the blood of Jesus. He chooses to remember it no more. What an amazing thing when you think about it. That gift of salvation, that gift of atonement. This is good news because as we've seen over the past couple of weeks, on our own, there's no way we can achieve our salvation. Our sins have separated us from God. We talked about how we are totally depraved. Because of our sin, we want nothing to do with God. We want nothing to do with Jesus. We're content to go our own way. But it's because Jesus loved us and called us. That's why we can respond. Because the Holy Spirit began that good work in each of us, that's why we're interested in the Gospel. Again, it's God who calls us. 
first. And we respond to it in faith. But even that faith is a gift from God. Because atonement isn't a word we we use a lot, let me uh, give a definition that one author uh, gives. Atonement is the work of Christ on the cross where our debt of sin was canceled, appeasing God's holy wrath against us while winning for us the benefits of salvation. In our text this morning, uh, the Pharisee, he wasn't so sure he really needed atonement. Because I think it's clear he was trusting in his own righteousness. And Jesus even says as much. So Jesus tells them a story. Jesus tells the parable about a Pharisee and a tax collector. They go up to the temple to pray. Now people went up to the temple all the time, but what was a surprise about this parable was that a tax collector went up to the temple to pray. See, tax collectors weren't thought of very highly. They were the scum of the earth. They were Jews that collected taxes for the Romans, and they usually collected more than they needed to. And so they were despised. People did not care for them. They didn't like them. Pharisees, on the other hand, they represented everything that was good, everything that was right in Jewish society. They were looked up to by the people. They seemed to faithfully carry out God's law. While the tax collector was out of place in the temple, not the Pharisee, this is where he needed to be. This is where they expected him to be. And the Pharisee, he thought he was living a godly life. Listen again to that prayer that he gave. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. I think you could say that this was a very devout man. Yet despite all that devotion, he remained unsaved. Because verse 14 says that he would leave that day unjustified. What was wrong with his prayer? Well, I think the the first obvious thing is the pride. It's all about him. He's kind of announcing out loud for everyone to hear all how good he was. Also, in two short sentences, he uses the pronoun I five times. I, 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 I. It's almost like he's praying to himself, not to God. He never admits his guilt. He never admits his sin. See, he doesn't see himself as a sinner in need of atonement. He even says in his prayer that He was glad he wasn't like other men. He wasn't like that tax collector, a sinner. Like you could say, he thought his good deeds, it was a ticket to heaven. That's how you earned your way there. But he couldn't have been more wrong. Let's not forget about the tax collector. Our passage says that unlike the Pharisee, the tax collector, he received atonement for his sins. Why did he receive atonement for his sins? Because he came before God acknowledging his sin and his need for salvation. Listen to verse 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up at, at heaven, but beat his breast. Just He's so full of anguish. He's beating his breast. And he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
Now, while the Pharisee, he should have had understanding of what the righteousness of God is all about, what, what atonement was all about. But as we see through his actions, clearly he didn't. The tax collector, on the other hand, he did have some understanding. He stood before God, head bowed, ashamed, feeling God's holiness convicting him of his sins. Have you ever had that? God just convicts you that what you're doing is wrong, and you know it without a doubt. That's our tax collector. And rather than compare himself to others, rather than compare himself to those who were even worse off than he was, he only compares himself to God. And as he looks at God and as he sees God's holiness and his righteousness, all he can say is, woe is me, Lord. Have mercy on me. Because I'm a sinner. Literally, the tax collector says in verse 13, God, will you be mercy seated for me? Literally, that's what it says. God, will you be mercy seated for me? That kind of sounds strange to us. But when the the tax collector asked God to be mercy seated for him, he was asking God to atone for all his sins. To be his salvation. I'm sure he didn't fully understand yet how that salvation would come, but he knew that God would provide it. And that was enough for him. Just like the Israelites in the Old Testament. They knew that God would provide it. The man knew that a sacrifice had to be made. Innocent blood had to be shed in order to take away his sins. And he knew that he couldn't do it himself. The blood sacrifice or the blood that was sprinkled on the mercy seat once a year on the Day of Atonement. It was a sign to the people that that innocent blood that was sprinkled there, that that blood came between God and His people. That's why it was sprinkled on that mercy seat where God sat. And it was through that innocent blood that their sins were forgiven. Not that animal blood literally could take away their sins, but it pointed their eyes to the day when Jesus would, the Lamb of God, would come and take away the sins of the world. That's who Jesus was. Hebrews 10.14 says, Jesus, one offering, perfected for all times those who are sanctified. Jesus' atonement and sacrifice took away God's people's sins, past, present, and future. All your sins were taken away at the cross. Isn't that amazing? You don't have to worry about where you're going to spend eternity. Those of you who know Jesus, all your sins were taken away. Why do you have to keep asking for forgiveness of sins every day? Because we continue to sin. But not that we're afraid because of our sin of losing our salvation, but our sin gets in the way of our fellowship with God. And so we have to keep asking God to forgive us of that sin so that we can know that intimacy with Him. Jesus died on the cross for all those God called. Those He chose to sanctify. This is what we looked at last week. His his salvation is not a blanket salvation for everyone in the world, but it's for those that God called. For those that He chose. And again, we said that it's nothing on our part. It's not like we're better than others. It's God's doing. It's God's will. We don't understand it. 
We don't know who God has called though. And so it's not like that takes away our responsibility for evangelism. We don't know. We have to look at every person as a potential. Someone who might give their life to the Lord. But we don't have to worry about whether they will or not. Because that's up to God. It's up to God to call. It's up to God to elect. But we still have to be faithful in casting our line out on the water. And God will bring the fish. God will bring those who need to be saved. But we still have to be faithful in sharing the good news with others. Scripture verses we looked at is not about God waiting for us to let Him in by faith, but it shows us a God who levels all the walls of our resistance to cause us to repent, to believe, to rejoice, and to obey. So you know what we forget? Faith is a gift from God too, isn't it? We, we often think that faith is just our doing. But God even gives us the ability to respond in faith. Because again, we're totally depraved. There's no way on our own we would choose God. Even though salvation is for all people. But because of sin, we want nothing to do with it until God begins to work in us through the working of the Holy Spirit. And this spiritual heart surgery happens because of the blood of the new covenant. The death of Christ for His bride, for His sheep, for His church, for His people. Jesus did not die wondering if you would believe. He died so that you would believe. That's the difference. Remember, salvation is God's idea start to finish. We can't even begin to make a decision for God until He begins to work in us. See, if it, if it was up to us, it was, if it was up to us, our, our, our choosing or not, then we're taking some of the glory that, that belongs to God. See, that He even gives us faith, all the glory goes to Him. From the beginning of that, that initial work of the Holy Spirit in us, stirring our hearts to being able to respond, God gets all the glory. We can't claim anything. But what we can do is live our life from then on in response to that gift. Living it for His honor and glory. Living it in gratitude before the Lord. Reader's Digest asked Muhammad Ali when he was still alive what his faith meant to him. This is how Ali replied. It means a ticket to heaven. One day we're all going to die and God's going to judge us, our good deeds and our bad deeds. If the bad outweighs the good, you go to hell. If the good outweighs the bad, you go to heaven. I'm thinking a lot about Judgment Day and how I treat people wherever I go. I know it's being recorded. Who does Ali sound like in Jesus' parable? It's the Pharisee. Trying to earn his way to heaven by his good deeds, which is impossible. While we're called to do good deeds, I mean, I don't want to minimize that at all, but that's our way of responding and showing our thanks. It's not our way of trying to earn our way into God's favor or into his love. Sadly, I think there's a lot of people in our world that think just like Ali. 
But because the tax collector looked at God to make him righteous, our text says that the tax collector, not the Pharisee, is the one who is justified that day. This morning, if Christ called you home, are you ready? If you stood before Him and He asked you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? There's a true story of a man who was having a final exam in his logic class. The professor was known for giving tough exams. Almost impossible. But I guess he was feeling a little gracious and he says, but I'll give you this because I know it's going to be a tough exam. On one piece of 8 by 11 sheet of notebook paper, you can write down as many notes as you want and bring that into the test, into the exam. But that, that's it. Well, apparently one student brought in that piece of paper to the exam and he set it on the floor. And then he had somebody from the uh, advanced logic class come and stand on that piece of paper during the entire exam. And he asked the, the man every question and he gave him the answer and he got a, a solid A, apparently. Whatever you could bring in on that sheet of paper, that's what the professor said. And so he let the man stand there on that piece of paper and got all that knowledge from him. On your life, final life exam, if God asks you why he, sh- why he should let you into heaven, what are you going to say? It's not going to do you much good to take that piece of paper and, and write on it all the good things you've done throughout your life, all the committees you've been on, all the good deeds you've ever done. It's not going to do you any good because it's not about those things. We're... We need to be like that man in that advanced logic class, or the the logic class that invites, but instead of inviting somebody else, invite Jesus to stand on that piece of paper. Because salvation is found in Christ alone. In Christ alone. There's no other way to be saved. There's no other way to heaven except through Christ Jesus. That's the only way to pass that final exam. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied for me. There my burden fulls soul found liberty on Calvary. And God's people said, Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Jesus, for going to Calvary on our behalf, for taking away our sin, for calling us to follow you, Lord, why you love us so much we can never even begin to imagine. All that you went through in order to call us to follow you, to be your disciples, to be your children. But Lord, we pray that our lives will show you our thanks, our gratitude. Forgive us when we think we can work things off in our own strength, that we can somehow buy your love. Father, help us to understand your love as the Bible really portrays it, as a gift that we're totally unworthy of. And this gift that we've received, may we in turn offer it to those around us. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.